Welcome to Writing the Wrong Way, the podcast for writers who strive to be bold and readers who crave something new. I'm your host, Jonathan Ball. I want to thank you for being here, and I want us to stay in touch. So subscribe to this podcast, then go to writingtherongway.com and enter your best email to receive the Martian Embassy Missive, my bi-weekly newsletter where I let you know what's happening on Mars, where we're always making big plans. Join the Martians so you don't get left out of the invasion at writingtherongway.com. And as a special bonus, I'll send you a free book. Speaking of books, my new book is called The National Gallery, and it contains sonnets about Leatherface from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, elegies lamenting the death of my iPhone, and other strange missives from yours truly, the poet laureate of hell. Visit thenationalgallery.ca to order your signed copy. That's thenationalgallery.ca. This is part two of my interview with Matt Jodry from At Bay Press. And if you go to jonathanball.com slash at bay, that's jonathanball.com slash A-T-B-A-Y, you can you know, get a hold of the first episode um, or, you know, of course, subscribe and just you know, cycle back and get it. But uh, uh, jonathanball.com slash at bay uh, has both episodes. So enjoy. There's also, by the way, a link to an article that Matt wrote about how his novel Phenonymous was published in Braille. Uh, so uh, take a look at that um, and so on. Enjoy the interview with Abbey Press. Now, Matt uh, Jodry is also uh, at Bay Press, or you know, the what is your per- precise title of? <laughs> Yeah, what I'd like to know that myself. (laughs) Do you have it? Are you the president? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, uh, CEO. Yeah, I I, I mean, I, 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 let's just say I signed the emails as as publisher at Bay Press. Publisher of Bay Press. Yeah, and my wife is 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 co-publisher, and she is also managing it. So, did you both start the press together? Yes, we did. So, when you first started the press uh, together, uh, you said you started in Toronto. Yeah, uh, and then you moved to Winnipeg. So, what was the impetus to actually? I want to know, well, you talked a bit about the impetus uh, yeah. to starting the press, you know, having to you know, just see, feel like there was this untapped uh, resource of talent and mm-hmm. wanting to kind of participate in that, um, you know, b- bring some you know, great work to light. Uh, yeah. What, what, do you, what were like the, but what's the moment, to me, like a lot of people feel that way. Yeah, sure they do. Right, and um, they don't necessarily go start a press. Like, what's the <laughs> yeah. right? Like, I when did you take it? Start you? I guess you and uh, uh, when did you, the two of you start to really take it seriously as a thing you're going to do? And what were the first kind of steps that you took? Well, I think I think I published. A, okay, I, well, I published a, a graphic novel. Um, oh, actually, a, a comic book series. Um, that was the first thing I did, and I just I created the press. Just so that it, it, it had, um, you know, some sort of uh, colophone to, you know, go under. Um, and when I produced this, I started doing, you know, conventions uh, to, to, you know, to, to get out there and try to promote the work and, and sell it so that people could read it. And Yeah, I remember meeting you years ago. I, you, I, you probably don't remember it because I barely remember it. But I remember meeting you years and years and years ago and buying a book off you at a... At a Winnipeg comic convention. Oh, that's great! It was like a black and white book. It had a, like a patchwork kind of cover. I'm oh yeah, it. that that was a novel, a yes. violence and cliche. Yes. Yeah, that's one of my faves too. So I forget when that came out precisely, but that, I, I met you very briefly when you put that out. Yeah, that um, would have been like two thousand. But it, yeah, at a convention. So did you yeah. so you started that way. You started to sort of build a bit of an audience going to conventions. Yeah, it started to build a bit of an audience going to conventions, and then, um, like I said, I started meeting really talented people, um, and thinking to myself, like I would, I would, you know, I would totally publish this. Like I would, I would totally, like, because I just did it for my own work. I would totally do that for somebody else's work. What does it take to do that? And then, uh, you know, my my wife and I sat down and we said, uh, okay, what's the best way that we could lose all of our money, uh, have, you know, an insurmountable amount of stress, lose all of our nights of sleep, and put out some really beautiful work, right? And that's and that's what publishing is. It's it's. Horrible. My favorite joke about publishing is uh, yes, you might have heard this before. My favorite joke about publishing is how do you uh, end up with a million dollars in publishing? Yeah. How? Start with two million. 
<laughs> it's true. It's 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 uh, terrifying, and you know, also too, just working with the eccentric characters over the years has been both, um, you know, so much fun, but also just so much stress too, right? So you started just you know very modestly thinking of yeah. doing some self-publishing projects, and then you started to think, you know, think, look around you and see. Um, other people you wanted to publish. It's yeah. interesting to me because I I, 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 I started the Chappic Press years ago. And, Which I uh, love, by the way. Mm-hmm. I, I, I love chapbooks. Um, that's, that's, um, that's always something that we've kept alive with regards to our press, is we do a whole bunch of handmade work um, that doesn't hit the trade shelves. And yeah, and if people don't know what a chapbook is, it's just a book that's under 49 pages. It's not legally considered a book uh, and uh, would be considered a chapbook. But there's a whole, you know, industry of, or, or like less of an industry, but there's a whole like... Um, collector base. Collector base of yeah, like... readership. Um, mm-hmm. Just... And they're very collectible. Usually they're very limited run, typically. They're often like... Somewhere between like, I mean, they, again, anything that's under four nine pages is technically a chapbook, but yeah. but, it, but often they're like 10, 20 pages, sometimes less. Exactly. Yeah, and like hand stapled or, or otherwise. Sometimes yeah. very like ornate and put together. Yeah, um, some of our stuff is very ornate. Uh, we use all handmade papers. Uh, we cut, stitch. Um, it's fully bound by hand. <coughs> it's printed at the mm-hmm. Abbey Press Studio. But a lot of other places will just do like very small things. Like when yeah. I was doing it, I was doing like just you know papers. I mean, I was actually doing much more high quality chapbooks than many people. For but sure. I still was just folding pages and stapling them. Yeah. You know, with a cardstock cover and a design printed on it and so on. Yeah. Um, but I, like you, I, I, I did it first myself. I, I took a class with Dennis Cooley, and one of our assignments was to make a chapbook. And then, uh, and you're, Dennis Cooley, you're going to publish uh, one of his We're going to publish uh, The Muse Sings by Dennis Cooley, yeah. and it's, uh, it's on its way to print. But, but his assignment he made us do was uh, make a chapbook, so I made a bunch for the class and whatever, yeah. that was what the assignment was. And then, because I had already figured out how to do it, I thought, well, I'll just make another one now. Yeah. And I very quickly moved away from publishing just my own, like I did some of my own work, but I very quickly moved into publishing my classmates and other people around me. But isn't that a thing, though? Mm-hmm. Like, because I, I feel like if you you if you love to create it, it it's not it's at least for, i mean at least for me i can't <coughs> speak for myself but i love to create things and so it's not just about what i like my own work that i want to create it's other people's work too because i see the value in it i see the heart and soul in it i see the the the, the cliche the blood sweat and tears you know so um and i'm a collector at heart so i think to myself Nobody's going to make that, so I can't collect it. <laughs> so sure. if, I, if yeah. I go make it, you know, I can go get this author to now sign 15 copies of it, and uh, well, we get to keep one at the studio. <laughs> I think it's an interesting impulse, but I, but I've, but, but I, and I feel it too. Like, I'm, you know, I, I've done a number of publishing projects, and I've got more, like, publishing projects, you know, in mind going forward but like I don't see it as a thing that is necessarily common to people what I see more commonly at least these days especially when POD technology has really uh, come down what I see is a lot of people are doing self-publishing now but they don't necessarily have the interest but they're doing it um, because they think the margins are higher which they are Uh, but like but they're doing it like Usually, they're just publishing themselves. I don't think there's anything wrong with that necessarily. I, I would even say See, I hate PR. I'd even say it's probably a, a fine way to do things. Yeah. And I, like I don't, but I I don't think like that. I don't like look down on self-published or, any, or anything. I don't like look that. down on self-publishing but at all. I just, I don't just like think POD. it is. Yeah, I just think that it's like um, it's a different impulse than the impulse to like want to kind of get a build a community around yeah. or or. or like, well, you're publishing Chris Macalino, a book by Chris Macalino soon. And, like, yeah. that's a guy that I've known for a long time. Yeah. And who um, I remember, I've seen, you know, manuscripts that he's done and not published. And, yeah. like, so there's, there's people like that for whatever reason they just, you know, and I've done the same thing. Like, you write a book and, you know, you don't necessarily publish every book you write. No. But, like, they don't necessarily have, like, um, a clear connection to a, uh, or even just a clear interest in like publishing, except on their own terms. Or okay, so Chris Macalino, what would you say if I if I asked you, 
to describe Chris Macalino, not his writing, just him as a person. Like, like, what would you say? What would be the first few words? You know, that would he's, come a, to he's a very mild-mannered guy. Thank you, and that's exactly how I would describe him: quiet, mild-mannered. Mild, mild-mannered, very thoughtful. Very thoughtful. Um, you know, very uh, deliberate. Yes, but but not necessarily interested in like putting his name everywhere. Exactly. So you've got these authors who are really great at promoting themselves, right? They're fantastic promoters. Uh, and they have talent, too. Mm-hmm. And then you've got these authors who have this exceptional talent who are horrible at promoting themselves. And I shouldn't use it like horrible is a tough word. They're just it's not just in their, not their nature to be that what way. They want to do. Yeah. Right. It's like not their nature. Yeah. It's not in their nature. They're, they're a quiet, reserved person. There's nothing wrong with that. And as a publisher these days, publishers want people who have 10,000 Twitter followers, who have an Instagram presence, who talk, 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 talk all the time, who are not afraid to go on television and on the air and on, um, you know, any type of media outlet. But, you know, I just had a poet that we published out in Wasega Beach. She's in her 70s and she is a quiet, reserved person, a lovely person, Mary Barnes. We published her book called What Fox Knew. It's gorgeous. It's her first collection of poetry. And I feel like a lot of these people get overlooked because uh, they're not marketable. And that's that's a publisher cop-up. That's a publisher excuse. You know, you have to be able to find a way to market the work, the work itself, the value of the words that are being written, not the author as much. Do you see yourself like so? You you consider at Bay to be a, a boutique publisher in that sense that you're more interested in doing like smaller runs with uh, a focus on, um, you know, focusing on marketing the work rather than the mm. authors. You don't necessarily need to. Let well, I love to be able to market massive. an author. I love to be. Able, don't get me wrong. I, I I've got to pay bills, so I, I want that. Um, and I would never balk at a uh, a bestseller. Um, that would be fantastic too. Um, and we do we do we do publish those types of books as well, right? Like we publish books that we know are going to hit the trade and and be a little bit more accessible. Um, but that's, that's never been the primary focus. The focus is on putting out, like you said, well-designed, beautiful books that are well-written and meant to be well-read. Um, and that's, that's always been the focus. And then, then that, that, that money aspect, which unfortunately is, is always the ever-looming mm-hmm. uh, carrot that's over there that you try to keep reaching for, um, is there because you need to keep the, the lights on and and uh, be able to still publish people, right? Like, I mean, there's, you know, it's always, you always hear the sad story about a publisher folding and closing up shop and, and then where do their, where do their authors mm-hmm. go? What happens to the, the projects that were in the queue with them, right? Yeah. In I, that pipeline. And, uh, and I've known people who've had projects in the pipeline. Like when Douglas McIntyre went bankrupt, I had a friend yeah. who was in their pipeline. I mean, eventually his book did come out with him after all that stuff was well, thrown out. But that's rare. Like, you yeah, know, like yeah. And I mean, works it, out. It, it, you know, that, that comes down, I think, to the author just mm-hmm. like getting his feet back on the ground and grinding it out to get mm-hmm. it into the hands of another uh, worthwhile publisher. He had a weird case where the publisher that, it, like, they kind of were bought and revived and then they just kept on with their normal publishing program which is almost <laughs> never the case yeah you know that usually that stuff gets lost in the shuffle right yeah but um wh- what was the sort of the so when you decided to kind of take you know i'm not just going to be publishing my own work i'm going to like look at publishing other people right and take this like what was the sort of the next things that you did to kind of really grow well i think the next thing is 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 really um connecting with the publishing community um, and that, that's other publishers, um, rolling up your sleeves and becoming a part of that community. Um, and, and really just keeping your ears open, like listening, uh, I think is a huge thing because, you know, there, there are publishers that have been in the game for a really long time who've, who've been through all the trials and tribulations of, of doing this, um, um, this, you know, this thing, <laughs> <laughs> and, and 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 they're still in it and uh, so then you realize that there are other crazy people out there too um who are willing to do this and uh and uh yeah 
Do you find other publishers are pretty accessible and like cooperative in that sense, or like you don't find it to be a well? I can competitive say, industry, or yeah, sure. I mean, there's a there's a healthy competition always. I mean, uh, I see books that come out from uh, local Winnipeg publishers here, uh, U of M Press. And, and ARP books and uh, you know the list goes on and on and I see I see these books and I'm like oh man these are uh, the book is so great like like I and and like it could be a nonfiction book which we really don't publish a lot of but I read it and I'm like oh like it just it just hit home with me mm-hmm. and and the design is there and um, you know it's accessible that's the big thing I think is, is having great distribution, making sure that your book is, can be at the bare minimum ordered anywhere in the world. But, uh, ordering books is not enough. They need to be on the shelves. People need to be able to see them. And then it's the fight for shelf space. You know, that's where you really have to. So how does somebody wage it, wade into that battle? Like how did you sort of get into, you know, like, Going from like having say no distribution to getting distribution, like what's the sort of things that you well you got to pay about? your dues. You got and 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 that that's that's literally have to pay your dues, not just like pay your dues within the industry by you know experience and time and and working with people which and putting is, out books. Yes, which is which is for sure an aspect, but also I think just ponying up the money to pay your dues. So becoming a member of like the AMBP, Association of Manitoba Book Publishers, having your authors become members of like the Writers Union of Canada or the Manitoba Writers Guild or whatever your local chapter is, um, you, uh, you know, um, becoming a member of the Association of Canadian Publishers or the list goes on and on, but where you, and us like being a member of the Canadian Bookbinders and Book Artists Guild. Um, the Fine Press Book Association. Like, we're members of all these different things, and we pay those annual dues, and what that gets you is information. It gets you information, and that information is invaluable. And then you, and then what you do with that information is entirely up to you. So you learn about who the good distributors are. You learn who the sales force people are uh, who really do know how to sell books. You learn who agents are. You learn who um, the best bookstores are in Canada, the United States, and abroad. Um, and then who to talk to there. And sometimes it's just a matter of getting in the car with your buddy and driving down to Minneapolis and saying, I'm going to go to like, you know, 30 bookstores and I'm going to talk to them and, you know, drop off our catalog, have some samples of books and say, look, this is coming out. We'd really like to see an order from you. And that's the job of the sales force to do that as well. But I think it really speaks to, you know, building a relationship with bookstores that otherwise have never been reached out to. And then you see an order come through from them. And I think that's great. So it seems like what you're saying in some ways is that a lot of the hard work or the job of the publisher is being part of a community. Yeah. And not like losing the connection to... Like no. why you were doing it in the first place, yeah. which is to be part of this community and help the community. But support the community, support too. Support the community. You have to go out to, like I go out, like I love book launches. And yeah. I go out to, I would say 95% of the book launches I go to are not our authors. I go to other other people's book launches because I want to know what they're writing. I want to support them and buy a copy of their book. Mm-hmm. And I want to get to know them and meet them, right? And that's... That to me is like like uh, if, if Jonathan Ball puts out a book and it's twenty five bucks or twenty bucks or whatever it is, that's money well spent to me. Because one, I get to read his work. Two, I get to meet him. Plus, who knows how many other people from the industry are at the launch? I find people really have a like when I started doing chapbook publishing. One of the big reasons I was doing it in the first place because like like you, I didn't grow up in Winnipeg. Right. Uh, I grew up in a really small village, not even a town, a village. Oh, really? And uh, in northern Ontario, like I grew up in small towns around southern Ontario but then I most of my childhood I spent in northern Ontario in the village of Stratton it's like let, like a hundred people I know where most <laughs> in yeah. so I grew up there and um, I went to high school in the Rainy River uh, which is like a town of a thousand people yeah. if you include the gravestones yeah. you know? <laughs> do you know what I mean yeah and um, uh, when anyway so one of the reasons when I came here one uh, you know I had never met a writer before, right? Like, you know, I wanted to be a writer. So coming to Winnipeg predates your writing career? Well, I mean, depends when you count it starting. But before I started publishing, yes. Yes, okay. So I I was writing, of course, but like, and I was very serious about it. But like, I didn't start publishing until after. My first Mm -hmm. publication professionally was in CV2 Mm -hmm. uh, after, you know, 
you know, having gone to untold events and so on. But I started publishing um, uh, these chapbooks and stuff. One reason I started doing it was I just wanted to support this community and be part of this group. But a big reason of it is I just wanted to meet people. Yeah. And I thought it was, like, less weird to, like, introduce myself to somebody mm-hmm. if I was, like, you know, offering to help them in some way. Yeah, <laughs> Do you know what sure. I mean? Like, Absolutely. And I, it just was like an in for me. Like, you know, it's like, oh, you know, hey, I'm doing, I'd love to see some, you know, of your stuff. Like, I really liked your reading. I'd love to see some That's of your work. It. I'm doing this, you know, I do these chapbooks, yep. you know, whatever. Plus, I was doing my own chapbooks so I could, like, hand them something. I could give a person something. Right. Like, I wasn't really trying to sell them. I was just giving them away. Like, I, you know, I had, like, 300 of them and I was just giving them. To you want your work to be read. Yeah, Clive Barker has one. <laughs> oh, that's great! <laughs> you know? uh, so, like, I, it was just to me about like getting things out there, and you know, even, I didn't have the idea that it was going to like help me so much right. as like it just would be a way that I could get into the community and like meet people and you know, uh, just like make friends or whatever. Yeah, because I didn't know people having moved here, right? But like, that's part of it. Is 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 you know just just going back to being that transplant is. Uh, mm-hmm. You you've got to survive in a new in a new world. I think that's one thing that people like lose in the digital age, in a sense. Like when they start doing like these publishing projects, especially is you know they're trying to do it all online, right? And I think like there's obviously value to doing things online, <laughs> and For like sure. it, it's you know you can like you know you you can never leave your home and like publish a book mm-hmm. and sell the book and so and market it and so on. But I think as you, like you really lose the connection in, in many respects with like who's around you. That's right. Like one reason we're sitting in the chasing artwork and GMB Kamichik's studio right now doing some recording while uh, this, another Matt is another Matt is <laughs> working around hard. working you know, organizing prints for conventions and stuff. And like, mm-hmm. I come here like every, I pay these guys to come in here and do work because right. one, I can get out of the house and my kids aren't going <laughs> to, yeah, my kids aren't going to interrupt me. But two, like, just so like there's people around and, yes. you know, it, I feel, I think it's valuable, like, you know, cause I can get like somebody's perspective on something mm-hmm. or even just, you know, it's, you know, you can meet people because I'm sitting here, I'll meet people. And you know, it's inspirational too. You're around other. It's I inspirational. Mean, I, like I see all their stuff on the walls, yeah. and like, yeah, it's just, it's. I just have always felt like it's cool and fun. Like when people are doing things, for sure. And when you're sitting at home and like you're just like working on your own book, like you say, mm-hmm. you know, it's a very lonely sort of job to be a writer. It's yeah, it's terrible. And that's lonely. fine, uh, but it is like. Uh, at a, I feel like it's at a certain point it's too much, <laughs> you know. Yeah, it is. And like I, I like to call books anti-social media, and I think <laughs> there's like a way in which uh, there's a there's a good side of it and a bad side of it, right? Uh, books, I think, uh, anti-social media. They're anti. Yeah, they're they're. I think they're they're very nature is contrarian. Like uh, they're, mm. they, they're meant to go against the grain of, 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 you know, all other media. Right. Um, and so, you know, the idea, I think that a writer, most writers, I think, who want to who want to actually send a message, just sit down and say to themselves, I, mm-hmm. I've got to I've got to write about something that's meaningful to me. Right. Um, you know, you sit in front of a, a student and what should I write about? Well, are you a race car driver? No. Then why are you writing about being a race car driver? Like unless you want to do a ton of research. Right. Write about something that, you know, you're really great at baseball. So maybe talk about what it means to lose the big game or, you know what I mean? Like these are, these are very loose, arbitrary examples. Yeah. You start out at least in that, in that green realm of, of a new writer, focus on what you know, right? Like, like write about what you know, what's hurting you. Yeah, I think sometimes people often offer that right what you know advice and then people will attack the advice. And I feel like what they don't get often is like nobody has ever said like only write what you know. No, <laughs> but it's of like it's not. a good place to start. It's the place you, to start. What people will do it's, is they'll they'll the discount their own uh what I, and what I see teaching students especially is they'll discount the knowledge they have right because they think they should have some other knowledge right and you know it, there's nothing wrong with going towards that but like I think first like don't discount what you already know and yeah. then as you say like like 
kind of focus on like what is it that you know that another person doesn't and then building off that and like exactly and then at a certain point you know yeah you're you want to be getting into research and things and learning new things of course but have you have you you ever been start in that one spot yeah like you don't need to discount all the information already available to you no because you think you know writers should do x well i just think like uh like a like a like a teenager have you ever been bullied Okay, you have obviously, or whatever, like many yeah. many have, right? And so, what 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 perspective did that offer you, right? Other than the fact that you know it sucks, right? Mm-hmm. But did you take this away? Like like were you able to take this away and actually now have more of an appreciation for the other people around you that were being bullied as well, right? Like are you now more compassionate to your fellow, um, you know, people in your school because you've seen. Um, like yourself, you've seen other people be treated at like in the worst possible way, right? So now, like you're able to like, you know, take take these these facets away and and use them for your writing. I, I love that, and I, I don't think there's anything wrong with self publishing. Like I think that if you want to self publish a story that's not a fit for a publisher, I think that's great. Just stay away from POD. If you can, <laughs> I don't know. Print on demand for me is, um, it's, uh, it's, 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 from every bit of it that I've seen, it's very low quality. It's um, been getting better and better, but it's been getting I mean, better, there still is a difference. I, it's a I major mean, difference. Certain things is pretty close. Yeah. But as you say, like a printer, like Friesen's, if you work with them yeah. and you have a relationship with them, they can certainly, um, they can certainly do all sorts of things. Yeah. I think a lot of times, like, I feel like the POD quality right now, it's gotten so good that it's indistinguishable from most books, but you can surpass it. I'd have to see it. the new stuff. You I'd can surpass it easily <laughs> if you just know what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah that's... Um, yeah, it's always been a soft spot for me because a lot of distributors will ask if they can... Uh, if you'll sign off on a POD agreement with them. Well, what I've noticed is, like, I just got a book from Oxford University Press recently, yeah. and I had... I got a textbook I was teaching. They sent me another copy of it. Yeah. So the, the book I'm teaching is not POD but they sent me another copy now they're PODing it yeah and that's really common and I yeah. can't tell the difference in those two like I could right. I could actually tell like when I got it I don't know what it is but like it was very high quality but I could tell the instant I got it that it was POD right. I just could tell mm-hmm. and then I checked and I could you know you and can you check and found out and yeah. um yeah our, uh, but it's very close like I I, it's an ineffable quality at this yeah. for some of them, but you yeah. can of course outstrip it. Like they can't do this kind of hardcover. No, no. And, and in fact, um, in Canada, there's there's only a handful of, of printers that will do it, especially mm-hmm. the yeah, um, no even the rounded spine, yeah. which is I was going to uh, say that rounded spine is it's, uh, it's a, a classic big... spine, right? Mm-hmm. And there's a lot like most of them mm-hmm. now are that that hard square bound uh, mm-hmm. spine, which is uh, just just from a, a like just from crack, like being able to crack the book open in a certain way is is different. I mean, well, they don't a, lie flat, right? Like, the, yeah, you know this one. You, I'd have to break the spine to make it lie. That's flat, right. But like, yeah, you. I could. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And 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 the the the, the page signatures sit better in the rounded spine, and uh, mm. they last longer. Right. Now, what would be as the press has you know, grown and the years have gone on? What do you feel are the newer like challenges for mm. you as a press? I guess yeah. things grow because one of the problems of being a press, as you know, is mm-hmm. that you always are. You're in this position of you always having to grow in some way. Yeah, and you're. It's it's true. Um, I think that, I think that it comes down like at least for us, one of the big challenges is catalog. Uh, it's like okay, we produce, you know, five to seven titles a year. Um, what happens when we go from like. Uh, that to like 10 to 12 or 13 titles a year. It doesn't seem like a lot, but when each book costs, you know, five to $7,000 to produce, um, just, just, just the, producing, just, yeah. just to Never just mind to produce it. Else. Never mind the marketing and paying the authors and, um, but like just, just pure printing, just pure printing and any sort of like outsourcing of, uh, of work. Um, if you do that. Um, and in some cases we do, um, because, um, we don't have an in-house indigenous editor. Um, we just don't have that. And so for me, if I'm producing an indigenous book, when I say producing an indigenous book by an indigenous author, I would like to have an indigenous editor, um, hopefully one from that exists 
in that band, that community. Mm-hmm. Um, if not, at least one that uh, understands um, and is able to talk to our Indigenous author about it. And so um, the same would be said for if we had a book that um, was uh, written by somebody who was, um, I don't know, but these, the, the point is you got this outsourcing. You're you doing, have the outsourcing and... That you don't necessarily... That, you're not necessarily doing and that you're gonna yourself. Have, yeah, you're going to have... And, and so you, you, you have pay. to pay for it. Yeah. Right. And so that adds to the uh, to the cost as well, which is a worthwhile cost because the book is better for it, way better and more authentic in the long run um, and lasting. Um, but... So then if you're multiplying that, you know, by X number of books... It adds up. It adds up very fast. Right. So just... I think just understanding the leap from like a growth perspective because you know you you have to grow Mm. but you don't want to grow too fast because you don't want um to compromise the quality of of the design of the book um like we put every book for us is a hail mary every book we go right to the edge on every book um you know we we really pull out all the stops we say to ourselves we want to like we want to go on the verge of bankruptcy to produce this book and then climb our way back out of that. And I think the books, when you see them, that beauty um, accentuates the words that are within it. So that's, that's the whole point. So when, you, when, you're, when you're going from a five to seven uh, year publishing model uh, to you know over 10 titles a year, now you're into a, 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 an even scarier uh, realm that uh, you need to account for. Do you think in many ways, do you feel like having that model and like having a, like a, an idea of, even if you don't know the finer details, like mm-hmm. having a vision for how you could grow as a press, yes. is that an important aspect? Do you think that's an underserved yeah, aspect of it? it is for sure. I mean, you have to have a vision. You have to see how this catalog is going to grow. You have to, and then also too, are you actually getting Mm. the quality work coming in that warrants you to jump from uh, X number of books to Y. How do you deal with... uh, How how have you found, like, um, that question of, like, finding and signing authors? Yeah. Like, what Um, sort of challenges sort of involved in that? Well, I had to go out and find them myself for the... For for sure, for the... At least for the first half of the first... Like, like, like... Um... The, the first decade of our publishing, I would say seven years of that was me going out and, and uh, you know, and Atlanta too, just going out and actually seeing work and just going, that's great. That's great. Okay. I got to talk to this person, I hand in my card, see if they want to talk more. Um, some do, some don't, but, you know, we definitely published that way. And then we would get, you know, one really great title in a year from blind submissions. That's not the case anymore. We're getting a lot of great titles in from blind submissions, but that's also because we've grown as a press where people have recognized us as a quality press instead of just a fledgling press, Mm -hmm. right? And moving from that fledgling press um, status to like a a quality uh, small press is where now you're seeing authors who want to publish with you who have uh, great writing credentials or... Um, have been publishing in the, the, the realm of periodicals for, for many, many years and have finally, uh, you know, put together a full-length manuscript. Was there any sort of watershed moment for the press where you just sort of saw, like, something change? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I would say that, like, 2018, 2019 were both really good years for us uh, because um, one of our Indigenous books... Um, stars by Lucy Hache and Michael Joyle. Um, Michael is not indigenous, but Lucy, the author, is. Uh, she's from the Nguaxala Nation, Port Hardy, B.C. She's Kwakwakiwak, uh, same as Gary Thomas mm-hmm. Morse, who, by the way, has his a launch mail, coming yeah. up um, yeah, next Saturday, this Saturday, yesterday. right? I think it's this Saturday. Yeah, you're, uh, or no, next no, Saturday. 22nd. Yeah, 22nd. Um, sorry, Gary, 22nd. Of February, yams um, do not exist. A great title, yams do not exist. Yeah, well, I, I remember, I remember going to his uh, his short story uh, uh, reading uh, with Prairie Fire, and it was hilarious. It was a yeah. fall off your seat, hilarious. Um, but anyway, getting back to um, what we were talking about, um, yeah, just getting in these great books now the, by these by these 
phenomenal authors uh, really helps. But moving from like a fledgling press to, um, you know, a, a, was there anything that kind of like where you felt that move had happened just just when you started to get more yeah well that's it like yeah so like the the 2018 thing with uh, lucy hache was uh, cbc selected it as one of the mm. um i think it was like 12 best books of poetry mm. um which you know uh i wouldn't say it helped a lot with sales but it certainly helped um i think the uh publishing community at large like the, the literary community that the stores really recognized that um you know there was there was some great like some great books being published by at bay press and then in 2019 we had uh some some great books come out but also too we really finally managed to start to see um the uh arts councils mm. take notice of the press and um, give us some grant money, which uh, you know um, we never we never published uh, our publishing model was never based on grant money, um, and I think some publishers uh, rely on it to yeah. stay alive. Uh, I know some publishers rely on it to stay alive. Without that grant money, they would fold. And we're talking some really important publishers, mm -hmm. medium-sized presses in Canada that without that grant money would fold. But we've never been that way. What we've done is we've said, okay, if we get grant money, we can make that book just that much better. We can now, uh, you know, you know, market it better, produce a, a higher quality book, like from a design perspective, like we can add some elements to it that's really going to catch the reader's attention. Um, we can pay the authors a little bit more, right? Uh, you know, we can give them a better uh, a bonus. We don't do advances because there's a stigma with that where it's like, oh, my God, if, if I don't sell enough books, I'm going to get my advance mm. clawed back against me. And so we just say, the money's yours. You're getting paid so little already. Keep it. <laughs> right? <laughs> like, oh, you, you, you give it a – you give like an advance amount, but you don't – We give, we give an sales. advance amount, but it's, 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 it's not, not against a, sales. Oh, really? It's That's just, unusual. We just give – like we say, hmm. this money is yours to keep. No matter how wow. well the book sells, because we know that um, it's it's hmm. it's a struggle. Like what was what was the uh, uh, the, the great saying is is that uh, to to be a writer in in Canada is a great way to starve to death slowly. Yeah, right. <laughs> like said if you, that, yeah, yeah, I, 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 I that. it's it's so true because I think there was a there was a female author I forget her name but she had, she was talking about uh, she it was in an interview or something or I read it somewhere where she she said uh, what's what's all this BS about um, the years of great uh, royalty checks oh yeah she's <laughs> like you know I, I, I some, some some really historic author was saying like you know uh, just made so much money and this and that and she's like oh well no problem I can take you out for coffee with mine <coughs> Right, yeah. like her, the royalty checks are so small that nobody gets into writing thinking that they're going to uh, make their millions. They get into writing because they're they're compelled to do it. They they love it. The um, the 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 fakers, uh, the frauds. Mm -hmm. I think it found out very quickly because um, they realize that uh, um, the stress and the um, weight of wanting to be a writer, you'll drown in it if you think that uh, it's, it's about fame and money. Um, in fact, most writers have uh, fly under the radar to such a degree that uh, even the publishers can't do much to, to get them on anybody's maps, right? So I think that you write because you're compelled to write. What kind of keeps you going uh, as a writer and as a publisher? Oh, for sure, it's 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 just that the writers, the, the, the writers and the artists, the writers and the artists, uh, and I think that's just the uh, the inherent collector in me, um, because I love seeing work created and it existing, and so for me it's like somebody comes to me with a project, um, and I see the real beauty in it. I'm I'm just blown away. I, I, a part of me just says, okay, no matter what happens, I've got to figure out a way to get this book out. And some books don't qualify for grants, and we don't care about that either. Like, I've, I've sold off two years ago, I, or three years ago, I sold off the bulk of my comic book collection, which was pretty extensive, to publish a book. Hmm. And just because I didn't, I, I didn't have the resources at that time 
to actually make a payment on the print job, and there was no there was no uh, arts council that would ever give me a grant for it uh, because it was just so out there and and now that book exists and uh, it would never exist if it wasn't for that. It's interesting to me like sometimes the perceptions that writers have on about publishers because they're often very skewed like because I've done you know uh, I worked in you know I, I public I didn't I uh, edited a magazine I had done a bunch of different things on the publishing side even though I've never um, I haven't gone too extensively into publishing in the way yeah. that you know you have but like um, but you've had a taste of the salt on the I, wound yeah and I and I you know I'm very um, and I always go to visit my like if I'm in Toronto like I'll go to visit my publishers and mm-hmm. like you know I'll go to the coach house the coach house of books and I'll hang out there or whatever yeah. and it, it's just interesting like the perception of a place versus say what it is so if, like Coach House Books is such a great is, thing though like you went to visit your publisher Coach well, House Books I, I to remember, hang out well, I was like who, who says out. you know who says I work in an insurance company and I I brought I, Lannis so I, when, I, when, I went there one time and I was it, it was shortly after they had won the Giller yeah. uh, with 15 dogs so um, uh, great book yeah uh, Andre Alexis Andre Alexis yeah, yeah. yeah so um they were I, anyway. I was I brought like some cookies to the coach house and I was hanging out with Alana. <laughs> That's great. And I was just kind of talking, and you know, she, you know, she, I was just talking to her for a little bit, like on her coffee break. And I remember like distinctly, I asked her like, "How many Asia did some? How many submissions are you getting now?" Yeah, and she was like, "Oh my god, it's you know unbelievable. Yes, it's unbelievable." Yeah, and um, I can't imagine and, coach and house and Nancy. They say must get publisher. Like yeah. you know, they're probably the, one of the larger small publishers in the country at this point but they're still like that doesn't mean what people think it means it doesn't yeah. mean they're rolling in cash because no. even if a publisher is doing very well what a lot of writers don't understand is that publishing is a cash flow business it is a cash flow and business and you yeah. can have a bestseller and collapse yes you can in yeah. fact it kills a lot of publishers to have a bestseller well that if happened don't, uh, a number of years ago what uh, 2000 and uh, what was that 2004 or 5 or whatever where um, the Canadian distribution <coughs> channel uh, collapsed and mm-hmm. half of the publishing industry folded because they they, they were so uh, reliant on that yeah. on that distribution channel that without it and that all these books were now just sitting there because I think people also don't understand that a book um, has a shelf life. We keep all of our books in print, mm-hmm. but there is a limited amount of time where there is like this marketing force and sales aspect behind it where the bookstore is re- – and it's like three to six months and then it's like it's, it's past the book by. Well, you were talking about printing costs too. A lot of people don't realize that like, like – like, so I don't know the details of that particular example where you're selling you know, comics to cover right. and printing costs, but like – what what often but that sort of scenario could happen even if you had a bunch of money coming like yes. you might have had like you could have in theory had fifty thousand dollars coming that's to right. you but you don't have it no and now to mo- next week you've got to give somebody five thousand dollars that's right like, that's the kind of weird scenario that you can get into as a publisher yeah and people don't and then multiply that by like say 10 books or something and all of a sudden like you can be in these weird scenarios as a publisher where like on paper, you have all the money to do mm-hmm. everything, but in reality, you don't have the you cash. You don't have it. You don't have the cash. And so now it's like, you know... Well, especially with distributors taking, like... Like, some distributors take, like, um, six months to pay you. Yeah, right? never How mind. do you operate a business off of that, right? And um, others are like, never well, mind, we'll like, hit you with returns right away. And until those, mm-hmm. like, until those, like, sales make up the returns, then you'll start seeing checks. And it's returns not, are a mad oh, aspect of the industry as well. It's um, our returns. We like we had returns for the last three months of uh, or, or in 2019. Our returns were at 28 percent or something like that, and that was apparently lower. Yeah, I was going to say that's not even than, high, really than than the industry. And I but thought that's still brutal. That's disgusting. That's that's yeah. that's actually lower than the industry. <laughs> like, give me a. Yeah. Break like I just I couldn't believe it. I wanted to just. It's a strange industry, you know, and like yeah. obviously, like, but, but like, given all the, the frustrations and things, obviously, like, you're still in it for the love. In, in it for the love, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think the, I think you have to be a glutton for punishment. You just, you know, you have to be. <laughs> you have to have that contrarian streak too. That you, you're just you going to do. do it no matter what. You're going to do it no matter despite, what. Oh. Yeah, a lot of it is spite. My God, yes, a lot. <laughs> but of I mean, spite. like, do you think that's a, like? I feel like in some ways, my writing career has been well served. 
by just the idea by that spite? I'm just going to do it. Even if, if everyone thinks it's a bad idea, I'll do it. Yeah. And now I'm going to double down on it. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to double down on it. Exactly. Like maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. But like, I I'm feel not like just going to lose everything, but I'm going to lose my shirt too. Yeah, no, for I sure. Used to, when I was very poor, I used to like, I remember once distinctly, I was down to my last $5 yeah. and I threw it in the dish. <laughs> just to just know like, what it feels like to be yeah. broke. Well, yeah, I was just like, I don't like, I went down to my last $5 and like, to F with it. You yeah, know, what I good is this $5? Yeah. What good is it? I just threw it away and yeah. I was like, I just, I felt like I just like, like a weight I, had been that lifted That contrarian off you. streak, yeah. you know, I think it's, it served me ill sometimes, but it's, I, I think on a meta level, it served it me It is. Well. You have to be a bit of a, you have to be, you have to have a bit of a, a, a maverick like nature too. You have to say. That's a better way to put it. Maverick yeah, like nature. You do. You have to be able to say like, uh, I'm going to think of ways to, to beat the system. Mm-hmm. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to talk to the right people, uh, or I'm going to twist their arms. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to fight for it. Um, because I believe in this, right? More so than I have believed in any ridiculous day job working for a corporation who really just thinks about a bottom line. What were our sales for that year? And that's an unsustainable human practice. Um, and for me, I've always believed that, like, you know, it's it's a very ridiculous romantic notion, but that uh, the arts would save the world. <laughs> <laughs> you have a great moment in this book. Uh, I flagged, just maybe as a kind of coda, I'll just see if I can find it here. But sure. Where you're talking about... Um, While you're looking, I want to tell no, all of my authors to make sure that they take a page from Jonathan Ball and start bringing me some cookies. Yes. Here it is... Um, Art is sacred. It, this is so. I just want to read this. Sure, you know, life it. is full of troubles, all kinds of them, and there's not much worth living for these days in Winnipeg, or anywhere else for that matter, except art. Art is sacred, and of all the sacred arts that nobody cares about, <laughs> which is in fact all of the arts. This <laughs> 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 tales about the power of words. I love that you know, sort of thing of you. Know, the, the art is sacred, but then immediately yeah. followed up with, and of all the sacred arts that nobody cares about. <laughs> <laughs> Which they don't, because it's shown like 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 from um from a from a from a society perspective, from a political perspective, um, <laughs> you know, nobody gives a shit. I just about like the, the doubleness arts. of it, you know. Yeah, like, well, there's, like, there's it's like that cognitive dissonance of like yeah. on one hand you can believe, and then you condescend it two seconds later. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know. I think it's beautiful though in a weird way, and I, I think it like captures that um, the strange. Uh, Lauren, the theorist Lauren Berlant has a phrase called uh, "cruel optimism," which she defines as you know when you hold, when you hold a when you have a sort of attraction to the thing that's harming yeah. you. <laughs> yeah, I feel like a writer or a publisher maybe has to have yeah. a sort of streak of cruel optimism. Oh, you do. They just you know what you mean like yeah. they kind of and you have to you have to want more. Mm-hmm. You, have to, you have to want to come back for more all the time. But I think that that. There's, but you know what? There's also there's also this this beautiful thing where um, you send out that package to the author of their author copies, and I just like I haven't even heard from them yet. It's 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 in the mail, right? The the postal service has now got it. It's in their capable hands, and they're going to deliver it to the author or the artist. And I think. That's that for me is like the most exciting aspect is wondering what it must feel like for them to open it up and tear into it and then crack that that cover for the first time of four years of their life. You know what I mean? That's 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 really amounted to this small little almost insignificant physical object. And all we've ever hoped for is did we do it? justice did we put out something that that and my 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 heart is always worried about it like it really is did we did we do it in a way where the author is going to be just so pleased because there's i've met so many authors over the years who've worked with the major publishers who have complete control over the entire aspect of the design and the look and the cover art and they are so disappointed when their book comes out and now they have to get behind that book they have to go out and support that book that they that other than their words, which is what they love, the rest of it to them is physically appalling. And for me, that's why um, every one of our books, uh, as as part of our agreement with our authors, is is that do you like what you see? 
Like we send them samples. Are you happy with what, what we're doing? And while we, while we can't always take every one of their like complaints or suggestions and switch it because we do believe that we are the professionals when it comes to that, they're the writer, they're the professional writer, we're the professional bookmaker that we, we do have to take into account that like they're like, I am offended by this cover, man. I don't want this to go out. Or I really don't want my picture on the cover because that's I've just never done that. And I prefer to just have my name on it or whatever, you know, and a bio. Great. Like, we don't want to put, like, we don't want to say, no, 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 your, your, your picture's going on the cover because, you know, you're a real handsome dude, right? And we want to make <laughs> sure that, like, your handsome face is on there. No, it's fine. No problem. We'll leave the picture off, right? That's going to make you feel more comfortable about the book. You're going to, at the end of the day, they got to go out and support it, right? And plus, they poured their heart and soul into it. Their whole, like, like I said, I think about the fact that they haven't been with their their kids for a long time and that they have to write about this and and it's because they believe in it right and there has to be a level of ego too right every author has to believe that their work is worthwhile and that's purely ego right you just say i am able to to write something because it matters and that's a pretty it's it's a yeah, and it's, I think as a, a publisher, you need to kind of also believe it matters, and like yes. you know, you need that realistic view of like how other people might perceive it, and how yep. you're going to market them, how you can make other people care, but also like to really you know, I, I don't know if you can, can you do it like if you don't really care. I think that's the problem that in many ways has hit larger publishers where they don't necessarily not to blame all large publishers or anything, but I think like is a, a weird phenomenon in the publishing industry uh, that people will outsource um, editorial in the sense of like deciding what books don't publish yeah. and uh, whether they want to get that behind the book. No, you, as a publisher, you, you like, it, you have to be able to say like, these are the books that I'm going to publish mm-hmm. and this is why. That's one of the things I like and appreciate so much about small press publishing is that, you know, although the larger presses do certain things very well and, you know, uh, oh, there's you know, some are very great, great books coming out from the big yeah, presses. Yeah, and they do some great stuff. But, yeah. like, I think one of the things that the small press has really um, an advantage of a sort is, like, editorial vision. Yeah. And the kind of um, personal touch of, like, knowing the books and, like, getting behind them in yeah. whatever way. Oh, it's true. Uh, I think that like there's a different type of readership that go to small presses versus the uh, the major presses too. The major presses are looking for books that are going to be a hit for the most part, right? They don't really take uh, big chances. They want tried, tested, and true authors, or they want what's hot, right? They want something that is they they, they want to strike right now because for whatever reason. Um, the LGBTQ plus community is, is, is really important to them right now and they're selling books so let's gravitate and grapple to them um, as opposed to and there's some great work coming from that community that's yeah and like as opposed to like you know a, a more s- intimate investment in that yes but really getting to like the like like really getting to the um, um, to the, the the Billy Ray Belcourts you know who, mm-hmm. who are these phenomenal um, authors who have this passionate singular voice that um, I think are amazing and I think that's where those small presses reside because they're willing to take the chances they're willing to lose their like we said lose their shirt on this one author um, because they think to themselves that this book must be published for no other reason than this book must be published right and then you worry about whether or not it's going to sell um, later. Well, thanks so much for talking to me and uh, for taking yeah. the time. And uh, well, thanks for having me, John. Thanks for publishing cool books. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Thanks very much. It's been a real pleasure. <laughs>